All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in humility, knowing who you are and what you've done for us by grace. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to become a man, so that by being one of us, he could truly take our place on the cross. You judged him on our behalf so that we can have eternal life by trusting in him. Father, help us never to become familiar with this truth and why we're here right now gathering together, worshiping you and thanking you and praising your name. Father, we ask your blessing to be upon everyone listening this morning and the speaker as well. Have your spirit guide us and direct us and help us humbly listen to your message that you have for us planned today. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's in the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, giving the gospel part four. I hope uh, many of you have been listening to the lessons. If you haven't been able to be here the last few, um, I think it's something that um, is obviously a very important subject, but also came across a little differently than I originally thought it would as well. And I want you to—I want to just say one thing too: is um, I hope that you look at the messages from the pulpit as just a message that's being passed on to you. It's being passed on from the Spirit of God to you, and I'm just a messenger in the way, you know. And I hope you don't look at messages personally and, and look at the person giving the messages because really I'm, I really truly believe that I'm just passing on the message that he's um, given me to study and prepare so look at it that way I hope you do as pastor always says he's a, just a bus driver you know showing giving giving the tour telling you what to look at what not to look at and um, that's really our job is just to give the message so, giving the gospel part four. It's been an interesting series. The Spirit spent a lot of time changing our perspective on time itself, helping us see it as a valuable divine commodity, not something that we should just allow to pass us by, which a lot of people do in this world. So, He's been turning us around and helping us look at this topic from a different angle, looking at the rose bush from a different angle. I hope it's been fruitful for you, and again, I hope you get the lessons on the website if you weren't able to be here. The Spirit has been readying us for the good work ahead and for the ways He wants to use us for His gospel. And on Tuesday, we were prodded with a series of questions that makes us think about our approach to the gospel. We talked about showing the love of God. For example, why do you think the Lord and his disciples fed literal food and healed so many people throughout his ministry? Why wasn't it always simply preaching the gospel alone to get people saved? Was it to show and prove the love God has for us to open up the hearts of men to the gospel? People need to see the proof of our faith, 
there are a lot of people out there that give lip service. And there are people out there that have heard the gospel from other people, but were shown no love. So frankly, they didn't really believe the person, maybe even call them a hypocrite. But people need to see the proof of our faith because love is the great evidence. In essence, when man is shown such acts of love, he begins to say in his heart, maybe God really does love me. You know, maybe he really does care about me. And this isn't just some stale message that, you know, that someone's trying to brainwash me into. Love changes everything. Uh, love is what breaks down walls. So again, regarding showing the love of God, we know the doubting hearts that we as human beings can have. And the Lord, knowing our weakness, in grace, He fed us what we needed. Maybe even it was literal food at a horrible time in our life. But whatever it was that we needed, He fed us by grace. Something to, quote-unquote, save us, to nurture us, to help us in, in time of need. And that opened our hearts to the love of God. We all can probably think of a time when that, you know, especially hit us hard where we saw God's care through some miracle or through some other person. And we can do the same thing for others. In fact, I think that's how God wants to use us. We can be the loving arms of Jesus Christ, the loving hands of Jesus Christ. And that's what changes people. That's what opens up hearts. We use the analogy Thursday of being a spiritual can opener by operating in God's love. Because in general, men have hard hearts. Let's face it. Most people, especially as you get older and older and you go through and, and see more things in life, they develop hard hearts. And they're not really open to the Lord's message and the Lord's grace. So only God's love is what softens the hard heart of man. Maybe, maybe that's why the Lord healed so many people and fed so many people. Only God's love softens the hard heart of man. And we have the privilege of passing on love to those who need it, if we're willing to get off our couch, of course. That's the disclaimer. But that's one main reason we're here, and this is one method of spreading the gospel, is to show people the love of God that actually need it. So, that will also open up doors for giving the gospel at the right time. The Spirit's convicted me personally that going out and showing the love of God is part of giving the gospel. And we can often give the gospel without words, at least at first. When people see the light of Christ in us, when they see the love of Christ in us in some way that we show it in humility, in love, by grace, treating people in grace, you know, I know one person that started coming to our church because another person treated them in grace when no one else would. And that person's here today. What reached that person? The grace of God, which is really just a show of the love of God. So that's what changes lives. And when people see that, they know there's something different. If they're humble, they know there's something different from the world. They've never seen this kind of grace. It's foreign. 
And that's what opens up the door to explain the good news, which they might even ask you about because they see the love. But this all means nothing if we choose to use time for ourselves. Unless we choose to use our time for others, we're stuck without opportunities by our own doing. It's pretty difficult to help others when you're sinking into your couch for hours and hours. If you need to, take out a ruler and measure how far the couch cushion is off the floor. See how it keeps going lower and lower and lower? Like centimeters different? That's a bad sign. It means you're in there way too much. I'm just kidding, but seriously, it's pretty difficult to help others if that's your modus operandi. Make sure the couch doesn't move, you know? Make sure the TV's getting exercised. The Spirit has asked us this past week about our hobbies. So on the board, are they hobbies or are they hindrances? Are our hobbies blocking out our opportunity to live for God's purposes while we still have time? That's for each of you to answer between you and the Lord. And this is just an honest, open question, objective question, not a condemning question at all. Step back and just be honest. Are your hobbies blocking out your opportunity to live for God's purposes while you still have time? As the Spirit has brought up, there's nothing wrong with enjoying hobbies as a treat in life. God gives us a lot of little blessings along the way in life, especially when we have our eyes open to them. But if they take over your life and your time every day, you might be a slave to those things. And God doesn't want us to be a slave to anything in this world, even something that might be quote-unquote good. He doesn't want us to be a slave to anything. And most importantly, if you're a slave to any hobby, you'll, you're going to be missing out on becoming a partaker of the gospel. You're going to get to heaven one day if you're a believer in the Lord, and, and you're going to have regrets, at least momentary regrets saying, I could have lived for God, but I totally lived for myself. Why did I waste all that time on the couch? The biggest shame would be missing out on becoming a partaker of the gospel. So we talked a lot this week about using the time for the gospel. God wants to rescue us from being consumed by the things in this world, even quote-unquote good things that seem to be innocent. He doesn't want us to even voluntarily put chains on our wrists, you know, to this thing that overtakes us, that dominates us, consumes us. Like my baseball games. Nothing wrong with that, right? Don't judge me. But seriously, when something, when something good consumes us, it becomes wrong for us as soldiers of Christ. We're all called soldiers of Christ. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. <clears throat> when something consumes us, it becomes wrong for us as soldiers of Christ. I mean, how can you be a good soldier if you're on the couch all the time? I mean, think of real war. I mean, imagine a soldier just sitting around. You know, when it's time to go out, he kind of hides in the latrine, says he's sick, I don't know. That's not a good soldier. 
you, you're willing to go out. That's what a soldier really, I mean, he trains and he's willing to go out when called. So look at 2 Timothy 2, 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The day you trusted in Christ, you were enlisted into his family and his army. And now he's like, will you do this for me? Again, in verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself. Just picture getting caught up in a fishing net, you know, and you, you, you get wrapped up and tangled up more and more and more willingly. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of what? Everyday life. You're not of this world. Don't get wrapped up in the affairs of everyday life like the average unbeliever does. You're not of this world. You're a pilgrim passing through. So God says, remember where your citizenship is. And be open to where I want you to go. Stop wrapping yourself up in the everyday life so that you can please the one who enlisted you as a soldier. So as believers in the Lord, we should honestly ask ourselves this question. Am I entangled in the affairs of everyday life? And yes, we have to do certain things in this life, in this world, right? We have to work or go to school. We have to um, take care of certain business at home, right? Take care of our families. And that's fine. But God even tells us to go to work. And he says, when you go to work, work for me. That's our attitude. Work, work, do your work hard for the Lord, not for men. So even that brings glory to God. So that's not getting entangled in the affairs of everyday life. What, what's getting entangled is if you say, ooh, I have to work 70 hours a week so I can buy my mansion. That's getting entangled. You know, letting something consume you. So be on guard for that. That's one of Satan's tricks. You know, now that you're already saved, if you've trusted in the Lord from your heart, now that you're already saved, he doesn't want you glorifying God. He doesn't want you following through on the plan. He wants you listening to your own will, your self-will. Do whatever makes you happy. Build whatever you want, you know? So the fact is the Lord has left us here to be his soldiers and as another scripture says, to be his ambassadors, representing him to others with love and humility. On the board, here's some perspective for us as believers. God has temporarily left us here for others. Newsflash, right? We should get a blinking sign, you know, outside our church. God has left us temporarily here for others. Not a great, you know, deep principle, but that's a, a real truth to um, accept, to come to grips with, and be set free by. Why else are we here after salvation? Maybe to test our faith at times? Some of you are like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Some of you have been tested a lot in different areas. We all get tested from time to time. But think about it, when you get tested, even that is for others. 
It's for others that are watching, angels and people. So God has temporarily left us here for the sake of others in some way, shape, or form. So the Spirit has been saying to us, will you let your opportunity just pass you by? Like it's not even important. Or will you make the most of your opportunity? Because the days are evil, as we saw this week. Now is your time to burn. Let the light burn. As the Spirit said this past week, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your opportunity right now. Will you let your turn pass you by without being useful to the Master, especially in regards to becoming a fellow partaker in the Gospel? Everyone in the last 6,000 years who has already lived and died The turn is over to never come again. No more opportunity to glorify God in the devil's world, in the invisible realm, even though we don't see God. Right now, it's our turn. And in 50 years, we're all going to be gone. There's going to be another group that has a turn. But this is our turn. And God united us all together as a family. And he's like, do this turn together. Do this thing together. Stay united. Stick with the word. Listen to what the Spirit's message is and be humbly obeying. It's your turn. It's your opportunity. So we especially don't want to miss out on being a fellow partaker in the gospel, that our lives meant something for the gospel and for others, as in 1 Corinthians 9.23. The Spirit is changing our perspective. So sit back and relax and allow him to transform your heart to be more like his. I mean, think of Jesus' perspective when he was walking on the earth. He had the perfect perspective. The only one that ever lived with a perfect perspective. Perfectly in sync with the Father and the Spirit at all times. Never sinned. His perspective was, I'm here to seek and save the lost, right? And that is what he lived for. That was his life. Was he a carpenter also? Yep. Guess what? That means he went to work. Huh. But was his perspective ever different? I doubt it. Everything he did, he did as unto his father. And his perspective was seek and save the lost. I wonder how many people Jesus witnessed to before he started his ministry at age 30. Who knows? The Bible really doesn't tell us. But... His heart was his heart, and he was perfect. And the Spirit is trying to give us his perspective, that others is what this is all about. So don't just try to pass the time in life. Don't get caught up in that, like, malaise. You know, it's like a trap. It's almost to lull you to sleep. Make the most of the opportunity. And you are the one that will be blessed if you choose to do that. Not the ones, not only the ones that you have the privilege of reaching. You will be blessed. And one way you'll be blessed that we saw this week is you will get a great relief from bondage to self. On the board, it really is a great relief when you actually live for others. Then you are relieved from being occupied with yourself. 
Raise your hand if it stinks to be occupied with yourself. Come on. I mean, we know it, it's the worst. You start getting self-pity and different things, preoccupied with your own building of your own mansion, and then God says, you fool, today your soul is required of you. So when you actually live for others, if you're willing to do that, you're going to be relieved at the same time from being occupied with yourself. Our Lord designed life so that the only way to find true life is to live for Him and others. That's how He made us. And you can't do anything about that. That's part of your conscience. That's part of your heart. That's how He built you. So if you want true life, do it God's way. Humbly submit to God's way, and you'll find true life. And that's why keeping busy with productive things is so helpful. It keeps our eyes off ourselves. By keeping our eyes on God and reaching out to others, we are freed from worry and preoccupation with self. Hallelujah. We're freed from those horrible chains just by keeping our eyes on God and reaching out to others. If you constantly thought that way and had that perspective, then it doesn't matter whether you're at work or taking care of business at home or whatever you're doing, it doesn't really matter. If you constantly have that perspective, you're set free from bondage to self. You know God will take care of you, at least your needs. And then he says, go take care of others. And you will be set free. You will find true happiness if you are willing to submit to the, his ways. And his ways are opposite our ways. Do you believe and accept that his ways are much higher than our ways. You can quote the scripture all you want. Do you, in humility, say, I'm wrong. I don't know what's best for me. My ways are not good enough. They're, they're not working. Your ways are way better, Father. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to repent. I'm going to submit to your ways. on the board we've been told this all week wake up while there's still time to be used for God's glory we saw several scriptures that literally say wake up and this is a faith issue by the way I want to make sure you understand that this is not a works issue this is not saying go out there and do everything no it's saying examine your heart uh, is your perspective right we're talking about the attitude of the heart, of humility and submission. Admitting that his ways are better than our ways. So therefore you surrender in your heart. It's a faith issue. And you choose God's ways, which vitally includes living for others. How do we do good works? Why do we do good works? Why do we go out and serve people? Because we have the faith. We, we surrender to God. And we say, okay, I'm going to obey. I'm going to live by faith. And then the works are all the results of that faith, just like in Hebrews chapter 11. So it's a wonderful plan, folks, but we have to get out of the way. And we have to humbly admit that we're wrong about certain areas of our lives. Turn again to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29. The Spirit wants us to read this again. 
And I mean, talk about a perspective change. Some of you that are kind of clinging to the world, this is foreign to you. And it really shouldn't be if you're a believer in Christ. 1 Corinthians 7.29 But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. And again, this doesn't mean this is permission to leave your wife. Okay? It's not what this is saying. It's saying mentally in your spirit you shouldn't be clinging to anything in this world for your happiness or your purpose. Your happiness and your purpose are in God and in the gospel. So again, the time has been shortened. Notice again, we're talking about time. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Why would we cling to things that are passing away, including our own life? It's simply foolishness, which a lot of people are going to see when they meet the Lord. But right now, you and I have the opportunity to change our perspective and accept the Word of God here. The form of this world is passing away. I mean, does it really take us to get, you know, a serious disease? to gain the right perspective, that this life is temporary? Does it really take us to lose someone really close to us to regain the right perspective? Or can we learn the easy way and, and listen to the Word of God and say, that's so true. What I just read is so true. So I'm going to change my perspective. The Lord could return at any moment. And there's little doubt that one of our main purposes from God in this life is living in the Great Commission. We are very familiar now with Matthew 28. So we saw on the board this week Luke 24, which is kind of a different version of the Great Commission. It says, Then he, which is Jesus, speaking after his resurrection, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So we accept our Lord's call in humility, and we're eager to somehow be a partaker in his great commission. If we're humble, we will be eager to somehow be a partaker in his great commission. You may not be called to visit parks and pass out salvation tracts, and that's fine. That's not what everyone's called to do. The question is, what is he calling you to do? I can't answer that for you, but we know it's something. We know he desires us to all be part of his great commission. Even your spiritual gifts, whatever those happen to be, they're not just to be used for the body of Christ, but they can be used as part of the Great Commission in some way, shape, or form. So we should be in humility eager to find out, to ask God, how do you want me to partake in the gospel? Partake in your Great Commission.
One other thing the Spirit's been telling us this week on the board, giving the gospel should simply be a part of our lifestyles as believers. It's who we are and it's what we do. It's not like some foreign extra thing that we try to do once in a while in the right situation. Our, if our perspective should be different, our perspective should be, this is who I am. I'm saved. I'm being saved every day. I'm living the gospel reality. And I'm going to let people know about it if I get the chance because I'm happy. I'm grateful. I'm glad. So it's part of our everyday lives. Whether we go to a party or visit neighbors, even in our work life, giving the gospel should be part of our lifestyles. It's who we are and we don't hide it because we're very grateful and happy that we're saved. And we even look for opportunities. That's a perspective change for some of us on the board. The gospel becomes us. And we become partakers in the gospel. And we actually look for ways to relate to people, as Paul did. I was going to put those little eyeballs in the two O's there, the word look. Think of the big eyeglasses, okay? Put them on. Like instead of just going about your business absorbed with self, maybe you should be keeping your eyes open. Who's in your periphery? Who's God, you know... Maybe, can you, do you notice someone that some, God's bringing someone into your life a little bit more? You see, and this is where prayer comes in. You kind of ask them, you know, is this a message for me? Is this a, someone you want me to reach out to now? Do I wait? We look for ways to relate to people as well, as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul was like, Whatever the, when I'm with a Jew, I try to be like a Jew, right? When I'm with someone under the law, I try to relate to them as one who was under the law. So we try to relate to people. We say, I know where you're coming from. I mean, we're all sinners, aren't we? That alone, we should be able to say, I know where you're coming from. I might have a different sin problem, but I know where you're coming from. Let's talk. So this is part of what you see on the board. It's part of love and obedience to our Lord's Great Commission. And the Spirit has been prepping our hearts and giving us his perspective so on Thursday we switched gears a bit and now that we have a different perspective on time and how valuable it is even in the eternal realm the apostles gave us wonderful examples of how to share the gospel with others especially in the book of Acts what we see is a variety of presentations of the gospel which we went through this past year in some of our lessons so just as a reminder on the board, I hope uh, you go home and read these chapters for encouragement and for guidance in giving the gospel. Acts chapter 2, 3, 7, 10, and 17 are just a few examples of different ways we can give the gospel. And we're not going to go over these again in this message, but God's saying, you know, read it again, get used to it again, like see, see how it's done. See how they did it by faith. And let that sink in. You're preparing yourselves for opportunities. God's going to give us more and more chances, especially in the times we live, and especially because he's just prepared us with the reloaded gospel over the last year. 
He's prepared us. He's getting our souls ready. He's like, you know now the fullness of the gospel. You know, you know it. Even if you don't think you know it, you know it. If you've been listening to the word, it's in there. Okay, don't think it's not in there. Like, oh, I can't remember anything. Stop that. That's a fleshly thought. Who's the one that brings the word of God to your remembrance when you need it? Who is it? Right. The scripture says that. So what are you worried about? You could have a very low education. You could, listen, you could be someone that you just, you're like, my gift is not intelligence. All right? However you want to say it. (laughs) And that's a good thing. If you're humble, right, God's going to, the Spirit's going to bring this stuff to your mind when you need it. And you're going to be like, wow, I can't believe I remember that. We've all done that at times. I can't believe, where'd that come from? I thought I forgot that. It is in you because the Spirit is in you and the Word is in you. So let him work. And he's going to give us more and more opportunities. And he's going to empower us. He'll never leave you high and dry if you're living by faith. Please remember that. If you're living by faith, if you're stepping out on faith, he's never going to leave, leave you, you know, what do I do, you know? And he's also going to make sure you never go through more than you can handle. Amen? So the Apostle Paul gives us general direction on giving the gospel, particularly in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I was reading this book a little while ago, and it jumped out at me how Paul repeatedly tells us how he shared the gospel. And this is one characteristic, if you will, of how he shared the gospel. So on the board, regarding giving the gospel, the way Paul reached the Corinthians with Christ and started a church there for them was by relying on the truth and the spirit, not on his own words of intelligence. And we see this in several scriptures in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 117, chapter 2, 1 through 5, chapter 2, 12 through 13, and chapter 4, verse 20. As I mentioned on Thursday, some of you are saying, well, that's great, because I got nothing. I don't have the intelligence to even do it myself. You know, I don't have the way with words to do it myself. But that, my friends, is a blessing. That's an advantage because then you will be more willing to use God's power instead of your own. Look at that as an advantage. Change your perspective on that. Because when you're weak, you're strong, the Bible says. And in your weaknesses, he will use you for his glory. And guess who gets all the credit if you're weak? Obviously, he does. Paul was arguably a genius. But he was so humbled that the Lord saved him, despite his sin, that he put himself aside. And he relied on God's wisdom, not his own. So again, on the board, the way Paul reached the Corinthians with Christ and started a church there for them was by relying on the truth and the spirit, not on his own words of intelligence. Go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. You know, some of you, you're like, you know, I don't have the intelligence, I don't have the memory, I don't have the words. Well, aren't we supposed to have the faith of a child? And does a little child have the intelligence or the memory of the words? 
and that's who brings God the most glory. So relax. 1 Corinthians 1.17 For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Notice, not in cleverness of speech. On the board, it takes human effort to have cleverness of speech and to quote-unquote try to sound eloquent and intelligent. But in freedom, we can drop that garbage and simply stick to the cross of Christ so that it won't be made void by our many words. Turn to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. God wants us to live in freedom. And part of that is stop looking to your own strength and abilities to perform His works. 1 Corinthians 2.1 And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul didn't want his listeners relying on him and his wisdom. Paul didn't want their faith resting on him because he was such a good leader and speaker and inspirational. Paul wanted their faith to rest on the Lord. And because he loved them, he got out of the way. And he even had weakness in verse 3 and fear and trembling. Maybe in hoping he was doing it right, giving the message right, getting out of the way. Paul didn't want to be the hero, is the point. He wanted people to see that only the Lord Jesus Christ can be their hero and is their hero. So regarding this phrase that we just read, of the Spirit. Part of a demonstration of the Spirit's power is us being open to say what the Spirit wants us to say. It's not about us having the right words, coming up with the right speech. It's about us being open to what the Spirit wants us to say in whatever the situation. When we do that, the listener is going to see the power of God somehow. For example, the listener to your gospel you know, presentation, whatever the Spirit leads you to say, is going to say, huh, how did he know I was thinking that? How did he know that was bothering me? They might even say it to you audibly. They might say, you know, that's what's been on my mind. How did you know? And you get to say, that's God's Spirit reaching out to you, my friend. Obviously, I didn't know your life. That's God, the Holy Spirit. He is reaching out to you. And why did that miracle take place right there? Because you listened to what the Spirit wanted you to say, not to what you wanted to say. And that's the power of God, for example. And let the fact that God can use an ass to speak and give the gospel, let that give you confidence. 
Remember Balaam's ass in the Old Testament. He used a donkey to give the gospel. So that means we can give the gospel. You have a visual aid right in front of you right now. So on the board, you might be the quietest person on the planet, but he can supernaturally use you to say the right thing at the right time. He can use a child. He can use a five-year-old child who's willing to say the right thing at the right time. So you can bring someone to Christ, my friend, if you rely on the Spirit, if you are willingly humble. That's the key. And may I venture to say, we often think we're humble, but we're not. And it's really not a matter of if we're arrogant, but to what degree we're arrogant. We're always in the way somehow. But in the moment of time, you can pray. In any moment of time, you can pray and say, Lord, get me out of the way. I'm willing to be used right now. I want you to fill my mouth. And then let it happen. And that's how we bring God glory, ultimately. So a reminder came up on Thursday regarding salvation and the Spirit. Isn't it the work of the Spirit that convicts someone and saves them? Or is it you? Isn't it supernatural for a person to turn from self and turn to Christ in their heart? Boy, is that supernatural. For someone in their own heart to make that decision and say, you know what, I'm not worthy, I'm not good, I'm not able to save myself. I'm going to turn to Christ and trust in Him. Supernatural conviction. So if salvation is of the Spirit, which it is, why don't we just let Him work? Why don't we just be willing to water the seed, right, or plant the seed? That's all we do. And maybe that person, because they see the love of Christ from you, back to the beginning of our lesson, maybe all you need to do is say the name of Christ, and the Holy Spirit will use that. And then maybe the truth comes flooding into their soul, and they realize Christ's love at that very moment, and they trust in Him as Lord and Savior. All you did was say His name. But because you illustrated His love, without putting requirements on them, you know, without judging them when they just screwed up royally, they see the love of Christ. You could say very little, but the Holy Spirit will go to work. On the board, the Spirit is the one who helps people believe, even if we don't actually say the word believe to others. A couple good examples of that are Acts chapters 2 and 3, when the Apostle Peter gave the gospel and didn't even use the word believe. But what ended up happening? A whole bunch of people believed in Christ. So the Spirit is the one who helps people believe, even if we don't actually say the word believe, even if we don't have the opportunity to give the full gospel, but we're able to show someone love, for example. This is why we go out and trust the Spirit in what needs to be done or said. Trust Him. Trust is leading. You do have to be willing to go out in whatever form God leads you, but trust the Spirit. He'll tell you what to do and say, and He's the one that saves people. It's Him and His plan. It's not about us. We're just vessels 
and he will use us mightily if we're just willing. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. At this point, I need to share with you one thing that some of us have been learning when witnessing at the parks. Sometimes just asking someone if you can pray for them is a wonderful show of love, especially if they share with you a struggle or two that they're going through. Just offering to pray for them is a wonderful show of love. Is there anything I can pray for? You know, do you mind if I say a prayer for you? And you'd be shocked. Um, I've been shocked at some of the response, the positive response to that. Like, yeah, that'd be great. I'd really appreciate that. Listen, everybody out there is hurting one way, shape, or form. And when you show them that you actually care I mean, who, why would you take the time to pray for me, is what they're basically going to say to themselves. But that's the love of Christ coming out. So you might then decide to pray for them later on. At least you made that offer. Or the Spirit might motivate you to put your hand on their shoulder and go to the Father right then on their behalf. And the Spirit will put words in your mouth. That's what we just read. On the board... When we get out of the way, the Spirit puts words into our mouth. As long as you're filled with the Spirit, as long as you're praying and asking for guidance, He'll put words into your mouth. And by God's grace, we will find ourselves combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, as we just read. Things that we had no intent putting together one of the coolest things words that you had no intent of bringing up or putting together and the spirit just combines things for what that person in front of you needs to hear it's a beautiful supernatural thing that takes place and all we have to do is not be intelligent and pass the SAT tests and get a 150 on our IQ test all we have to do is be willing willingly humble that's it and he's like, watch this, angels. I'm going to use that guy who's got no clue to give the gospel to this guy and watch what happens. And the angels are all like amazed. I can't believe you used that guy. <laughs> Seriously, that's what's going on in the invisible realm. But what does it take from us? Being willingly humble. So the spirit is our power. And only he can combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And again, I just encourage you, don't underestimate the power of just asking someone if you can pray for them. It's another way to let the love of Christ shine through you. So turn to chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians. And let's look at verse 14. Here we see Paul calls out some arrogant people that were speaking against him, and he challenges what their source of power is. 1 Corinthians 4.14 I do not write these things to shame you, 
but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Reliance on the Holy Spirit, and not on one's own words of wisdom, is how we are to share the gospel. It means getting out of the way. Not planning what we're going to say, but instead trusting the Spirit for His guidance. Again in verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. If you've been into the Word of God for any amount of time, you know the good news of the Gospel. Especially with our recent series on the Gospel. You know the big picture. And if you're listening right now to my voice and you don't feel you know the good news of the gospel, just keep reading your Bible. Just keep reading your Bible. Trust me, the Spirit will give you clear messages. Especially with our recent series on the gospel, we know the fullness of the gospel now. You know, we have the bigger picture going on in our souls. It's there. And if you believe the message when it was being taught over the last year, if you believe the message... It is in you. It is in you. And the Spirit will bring it up at the right time. And most important, I think, when we give the gospel, we need to remember that the person you're sharing the gospel with, 99% chance they know nothing about the Word of God. So this came up on Thursday, too. Stop feeling like, what if they say this? What if they ask me this? I don't know the answer. Don't worry about that. Our job is to give the good news. If they have a hang-up in their soul about something, you know, that's their problem, honestly, between them and God. You give the gospel and let it sit. Plant that seed. And if they ask you a question, then say, you know what, I'll find out for you. And come talk to somebody in the church and and get the answer from Scripture. But just relax. Stop worrying about what people are going to say. 99% of the time, they have no clue what's in the Bible. And they want to hear some good news. Honestly. So on the board, regarding giving the gospel, our job is not to be crafty with our words. It's to share the heart of Christ, to reveal to others that you care enough about them to share the good news with them, and let the chips fall where they may. It's almost like instead of the first thing on our mind giving the gospel being what we're going to say, the first thing on our mind should be, let me show them love. You know what I mean? What's my approach? This is my approach. I'm going to approach them in grace and humility and share the love of Christ with them. I don't know how I'm going to do it. It might be something I say. It might be something I do or give them. But that's the proper perspective. Let's go out and share the love of Christ. The gospel will come out. 
So again, our job is not to be crafty with our words. It's to share the heart of Christ. To reveal to others that you care enough about them to share the good news with them and let the chips fall where they may. And one of the Spirit's emphases over the last couple years has been about personal relationships. So on the board, another friendly reminder. People don't need to hear fancy words. They need to see that you care. That's what motivates them to listen to the good news. That's what opens their hard heart up. That's the love of Christ showing through you. It's a beautiful thing. Again, people don't need to hear fancy words. They need to see that you care. That's what motivates them to listen to the good news. And that's the love of Christ in you. So as Paul said, as we begin to close, we are to preach the cross of Christ and his resurrection. Stay focused on Christ and what he did for us. He's the Savior. He's the message. And now, you know, we've been well trained here with the Word of God. We know the fullness of the gospel on the board. We know the gospel includes such things as repentance, turning from sin and self to Christ, trusting in Christ with one's heart, and believing in his resurrection from the dead. We know those are all parts of the full gospel. And these are things the Spirit might use now that they're in our souls. And remember, even a child can tell the story of Jesus Christ. It's pretty simple, if you think about it. It's the same storylines that were given in the book of Acts. And it's the same storyline that Paul gives a recap in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, let's close with that passage. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. You know, think of giving the gospel as telling a story. Even a child can do, it, do that, and, and maybe even you should think about giving it to a child. What if you were giving the gospel to a child? How would you give it? That's how simple you should keep it for everybody, really. Still sharing the fullness of the gospel on the board, if you have the time, but tell the story. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God.
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. There's a good example of telling the story. And Paul's laboring largely had to do with getting out there and sharing the gospel. It wasn't about coming up with advanced, fancy doctrines, although part of his gift was to write of and teach the mysteries of God through Christ. But it was largely about laboring to share the gospel with as many people as he could so that some might be saved. His mind was set on preaching the gospel so that others would believe. Go figure. The Great Commission. Go and make disciples. The humble believer says, Okay, Lord, just show me how. So our final point this morning on the board. If we would just get out of the way, dropping our personal insecurities which is really our arrogance, then sharing the gospel would be easy, as the faith of a child would share it. If you forgot about yourself completely, you would have the faith of a child. And you'd be like, i got to just tell this person the good news. Hey, do you know the good news? If we would just get out of the way dropping our personal insecurities, which is really our arrogance, then sharing the gospel would be easy, as the faith of a child would share it. Amen? All right, let's close with a video. Let's get the lights, please.
Father, we thank you so much for guiding us by your Holy Spirit, for your faithfulness, for the reminder of the gospel and the love of Christ. We thank you for using us, even though we are unworthy. We thank you for the opportunities you give us. And we ask that you help us not just pass the time by, but see what your mission is for each one of us. Father, most of all, we thank you again for your son, Jesus Christ, who came down to earth once for all to be judged for the sins of the whole world so that whoever trusts in him from the heart will be saved. Whoever turns to him in humility will be saved. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your grace plan of salvation. We ask that you bless us all as we go today. Help us bring your good news out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. By the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.